Hello and welcome to the Fight Like a Girl podcast. This week I had the great pleasure of sitting down with the wonderful Chelsea Lee. Um, She is a first degree black belt under Andre Galvao. And uh, yeah, we had a really good conversation spanning uh, a lot of her career and uh, about opening up a new gym and even a little bit about rolling whilst pregnant. So um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy. So thank you very much for sitting down with me. Um, You are Chelsea Bainbridge Donna. Yes. Is that right? That's lots of names. Yes, I usually go by Chelsea Lee. <laughs> Chelsea Lee. Okay, I'll call. I'll just call you Chelsea. Yeah, that's fine. That works for me. <laughs> and um, you've you got your first degree. Yes. Your first degree black yes. belt. Um, at Rolling Dojo in Cambridge. Yes. Um, but not for much longer because you're going to a much bigger place. No, it's going to be called Hopefully. the same thing. Hopefully, we're going to a much bigger place. Keep them both. Just flip between two spaces. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not hard enough to run one gym, I need to run two. <laughs> I'm sure it will work itself out eventually. That's what everybody says. <laughs> so, um, first off, I want to ask um, the same thing that I ask everybody, and that is, like, um, you've been doing this for a long time now. Um, one is... Is uh, jiu-jitsu like the first sport you've done or did you do any kind of martial arts or like athletics or anything beforehand and how did you get into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah I was always I was always in sports as a kid I started out in like competitive gymnastics as a kid um, and I ended up doing strip mall karate for a while this was back when the UFC was still kind of getting big and the instructor there was super into old school UFC, like mm. 1996, 1997, that kind of era. And so he started bringing in jujitsu. And then my family moved from Boston o- over to San Diego, which was pretty much the only place you could train mm. jujitsu in the U.S. at the time. And since I had liked it, I just picked it up and I never, never stopped doing it. I'm not sure why just stuck (laughs) (laughs) that that's the long and short of it 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 was just um something that I ended up doing for most of my life that's pretty cool so how long did you do gymnastics for I did gymnastics from the time when I was like a probably five or six all the way up until I was about 12 my parents got worried that it was just taking a huge toll on my body which you know, it probably, I, was. it probably was, and then they went and got me into another like sport that takes a huge toll on your body. So I'm not, I'm not sure that the uh, the outcome was what they intended, but they just wanted to yeah. break you down physically so that you weren't riotous at home. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. My mom's convinced that that's why I'm so short, but I'm not sure that that's a that that's a thing. It sounds like a very scientific conclusion. Yes, yeah, it couldn't be because half of her family is tiny <laughs> or anything <laughs> it's definitely the gymnastics so um strip more karate sounds yeah. really good like i'm getting cobra kai images in my head it wasn't that bad it was more for um it was more for like for you know something to do some kind of activity for me to do it wasn't it wasn't a 
it wasn't as bad as some of the um some of the strip ball karate was in that in that mm. era. But <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely it definitely wasn't as um intense as, as intense as Jiu Jitsu for sure. Huh. So uh you moved over to San Diego. Yes. Um which gym did you find when you were out there? Was it Atoll? No, it was a Gracie Baja back then. Um, and then, but it changed hands a number of times when I was there. I was too young to really um, understand any of the politics. Honestly, I'm still kind of, still kind of uh, <laughs> unclear on them. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, like I said, it changed, it changed uh, affiliations a number of times, and you know. But after I, after I left for university I was gone for a long time and that's when I came back and, and went to Athos after oh. being gone in Asia for a while. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Lots of traveling. Yeah, I I traveled all over for most of my twenties. <laughs> so I never had that like um drive like to travel like at all. Like most of my childhood is was spent in seclusion, like in my bedroom, <laughs> on my computer, doing not very much. And um, like people like tell me all their stories about oh well I went to Asia and I did this and like we went to Bali and then we went to we we went across India or like um, Eastern Europe and things like that and I'm like I I went to the shops <laughs> I <laughs> I got out of bed and I walked down the street. But did you want to travel? Not really. Then um, you missed nothing. <laughs> yeah, like I've um I've started traveling recently. Um, like this year I took my first like proper international trips like outside of Europe so yeah I got if you to don't to... want to go then there's absolutely nothing that you can gain from yeah. it other than a lot of stress <laughs> <laughs> like I I get quite paranoid in that I constantly have this feeling that I'm living in the Truman show so <laughs> I'm like oh so um if I wanted to I could go to Australia like I keep thinking that like the 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 will not to go is like chemically induced or something ridiculous like that. So I was like, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to Australia. So I went to Australia in January and I loved it. And then I got there, and I was like, it's just like home but hot. Yeah. And <laughs> so that was fun. And people talk a bit weirder, and their their money is so colourful. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. And then I went to the States. And it's not colourful there at all. No, no. It's quite bleak. Um, I went to Texas. And that was... That was fun. And hot. It wasn't that hot. Um, I went in February. So it, oh, was, a, okay. so it was a bit mild. Um, we did have like two hot days. And then we had two cooler days. Which were pretty cool. But I got, I got to see my first like uh, strip mall. That was fun. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> Just seeing all the stuff from the telly. <laughs> I was like, these all look familiar. I saw a cactus while I was there. I was like, ooh, I am in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I didn't see anyone openly carrying any weapons. You probably weren't looking hard enough then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my friends was like, I've got an, uh, an open carry license. I just didn't bring my pistol with me. I was like, what? <laughs> and we were supposed to go to a gun range, but we didn't. And I'm kind of glad because the thought of it terrifies me. Yeah, I've never been. I know everybody thinks that's a very American um, experience, but I've never, I've never been. What? I know. know. Never. No interest. The the sudden urge. No, not really. Own a weapon like that. I mean, if it's available all the time, why would it? 
it's not. It doesn't have the same allure for me. I guess. What? You can go into any Walmart and pick up an AR-15, surely. Not in California. No, that's true. <laughs> so, um, like, did you, when you went to university, did that kind of put a stop to, like, your uh, physical training and stuff? I didn't train very much jiu-jitsu while I was at university, but I, I was swimming and diving and playing rugby. So I was doing other stuff. You know, just enjoying other kind of sports and doing other things, and um, just I just didn't really have the the same opportunity to train. Like, even though it was jujitsu was expanding at the time, it wasn't as widespread as it is now. Mm. You just you don't have the same you didn't have the same opportunities to train that you do now. Now you can't you can go anywhere and train. Yeah, and it's nice. It's nice. We got friends all over the world, and you just kind of pop into their gyms and. <laughs> doesn't matter where you are. I was in Jordan and I was getting messages being like, are you going to come and train with us? <laughs> I didn't even know there was a place to train in Jordan, but I, I would have if, if I had known. But that's kind of one of the great things that, that I found about the music. Like, obviously, I haven't been in, in it the, as long as you have, but like, um, every time, like, all of my trips this year have been because I wanted to go and train yeah, jiu-jitsu go like, elsewhere. And uh, I did a three-day camp in Australia with uh, Jess Fraser, mm-hmm. which was literally amazing. And um, like just uh, a weekend of open mats with friends in Texas. And it is, well, one, it's it's great to see how much the sport has exploded over the past like really ten has. years. It's, it's massive, <laughs> and like. There are gyms everywhere, and even in the UK. Like I, I was listening to Dan Strauss's podcast the other, the other week, and he's talking about how, like most of his his podcasts talk about like the birth of jiu-jitsu in the UK and how like um, Mauricio and Brownie and everyone came over and started to set up. But like, I don't know. I think it was about four or five years ago that the the, the black belts went from about. 20, 30, to about 150, and now it's like 500 and something. Yeah, Tom, um, when he started, I think, which was back in about 2009, I think, he used to have to drive from Plymouth all the way up to Birmingham to train with Braulio, (laughs) like, every couple weeks, you know, just to get a couple hours of training in, and I just can't imagine spoiled coming from California, you can't throw a stone and not hit like a world champion. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I was driving these six hours just to train with Braulio and then I'd drive back and teach in the evening. Well, that's a lot of, it's a lot of driving. (laughs) Yeah, like that has a toll (laughs) on it. Just physical exhaustion. He he was younger then. Now he just complained nonstop about (laughs) it. I'd never hear the end of it. (laughs) Um, I yeah I actually think I heard him say tell that story on uh, um probably on Dan Strauss's podcast yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> he um but he did regularly drive and you know we met because he was flying from the UK to the US to train with you know mm. with um, Hoffa and Guy Mendes and like that's just an insane amount of commitment to to have to the sport. Mm. 
I was very, very lucky that I just kind of fell into the right environment to be in it. Yeah. But um, I know that other people have definitely not had that experience. <laughs> this, is, this is very true. So um, you finished your university course, yes. I'm assuming. Yes. And um, you came, did you go back to San Diego? No, I am. Um, immediately from university, I went over to Asia. I was in, I was in Southeast Asia for a while. Um, getting a teaching certificate and then I was in China for I was in mainland China for about nine ten months and then in Hong Kong for about two and a half years oh wow so I was over there and you know is this why you speak Mandarin Do I you speak some or do you flip I speak all right Mandarin like enough to get by I took I, I minored in Mandarin at university so I studied it there. For when they become the world's superpowers, you can <laughs> integrate better. <laughs> um, so uh, you come back from your travels. Yeah, in about 2012. And is Atos the gym that you went to? Pretty much straight, straight away, away, yeah. But even, even then when I came back in 2012, there were a bunch of gyms in San Diego, but just not... Not like it is now. Mm. Not like now, there's so so many amazing places to train, and it's the the growth is insane. Mm. But so, what was it about jujitsu that like made you want to go back almost immediately after you'd finished uh, studying? Like as you said, you you didn't really have any uh, outlets to train whilst you were. At, university yeah it was something that I'd done for a long time it's a really even then it was a really easy way to kind of connect into a brand new community like Mm. I moved obviously to to Hong Kong I I don't know any I I think I knew one (laughs) or two people in Hong Kong Um, so going and training is just a really easy way to kind of reconnect to a a community that you Mm. that you've just kind of moved into there you see it a lot with people who move around a lot, they they never connect into their new community at all. They never manage to make friends because it's not like university where you're kind of all shoved into the same environment and you have to make friends because yeah. that's, that's where you are. But, you know, when you're an adult and you, like, move from wherever, L.A. to New York City, nobody in New York wants to make friends with you unless you have a, a <laughs> like a reason yeah. to, to be friends. So it's a it's a really good way to kind of become part of a new community, like mm. find people in a new community, and it was something I had already done, and that was when I was kind of rediscovering my interest in it after I had graduated and traveled around a bit. So, what made you take the leap from casual uh, participant to wanting to actively pursue it as a uh, like career slash become a professional athlete in the sport that's something I also kind of I also kind of fell into my lifestyle allowed it so I you know I was able to just to keep trying to reach new levels of ability and I just didn't see a reason to not compete so I just kept doing it. I kept um, kept competing as much as I could. And 
I kind like I said, I kind of fell into this this whole, you know, owning a gym thing and and you know being a professional athlete thing. But I wouldn't trade it. It's not it's not what I intended to do, but I'm enjoying it. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes it much easier that there's two of us. I can't I can't imagine trying to run a gym by myself. Just you know the teaching side and the administration side is so much work. So it's really nice that there's two of us, so that we can kind of um, work together and make mm-hmm. it make it stay afloat. Share the burden <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing but respect for people who who manage to do it on their own, but I have no idea how they do it. <laughs> Wow, like I would literally have no idea where to start. Like, even, even trying to find a space and kit it out, I'd be lost in the yeah. water. So, I've got nothing but respect for people who actually do pull it off. And like, it's not an easy sport to kind of make money in either. No, no, it's not. You have to have a nice facility, and then on top of that, you have to like, you have to be in the right space. Mm. But you need a ton of space to be able to like get enough students to pay for the space. To pay for the space. <laughs> but then, you know, you need this huge space. <laughs> and as we're finding here, we're um we're growing out of the space faster than we're uh we're able to find a new space. Hmm. But, you know, good problems to have, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um you were at Atos up until like for most of your belt progression, I'm yes. assuming. Um, and let's talk about that a little bit. So, like, when you went back after university, like, do you go back as a, a, a white belt? No, I went back as, as a brown belt. I had already gotten oh, a white wow. belt. Oh, yeah. wow. Bloody hell. Yeah. I, I trained most of my childhood up until I was about, until I was, you know, 19. I was training on and off in the summers and stuff, and... After that, I was working in the summer, so I wasn't able to train nearly as much. But I went back as a brown belt, but like a, an out of shape kind of out of, out of practice brown belt, mm. and it, so it took me a while to get back or to get up to the point where, I was able to compete effectively. See, I've recently just had, uh, a year out, roughly. Like I've been doing the odd class here and there, yeah. but even that kind of put me on the back foot for a lot of the stuff like yeah I'm really not looking forward to going back I know <laughs> that the first few months going back are gonna be just awfully miserable <laughs> the worst and I know that all of the girls that I that I spent all my time beating up are gonna use it as an excuse to uh <laughs> to, to beat me up as hard as as hard as possible um I'm sure some of them will have a little empathy? bit of compassion. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I just have a giant target on my back. <laughs> well, everyone does. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's fine. I I can deal with that. I'm not sure I can deal with another four months of not training, but we'll see. Not mm-hmm. sure we have an option. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Uh, you would, you got your brown belt in yeah when I was San younger, Diego then. Yeah. Um, who did you get your belts from when you were coming? Were you at the same place through the whole of your? Yeah, for most of my um, 
for most of my progression, I was at that same gym in San Diego. Oh, so then when you went to Atos, um... I went to Atos as a brown belt and I got my black belt from Andre. Belt. Um, so after you got your black belt from Andre, you, you went to AOJ for a little while? Yeah, I was and up at AOJ for there. a while and teaching up there. Um, when I, when I got my black belt, that was right around the time that Keenan and JT and like all those guys from, that used to be Lloyd Irvin kind of moved to San Diego mm. and all of a sudden the gym went from like a kind of moderately sized group, like physically moderately sized to giants. <laughs> and then I just decided, you know, like Hoffa and Guy have tiny little guys. <laughs> better training for me it's the same team why not it's like Costa Mesa is beautiful so I just I moved up there it's not very far mm. you know it's not it's not like it's a a long trip so I moved up there just in an effort to get better training honestly more more effective training for my size it was very very strange it was like all of a sudden one day I went in there and everybody was just giant <laughs> <laughs> They're not small people. They're not small like, people at all. Um, and like I have, I have the opposite problem. Like normally when I'm put against people either in competition or in classes and stuff, they're smaller, a fair amount smaller. And like it's great in the sense that I get to learn how to handle smaller opponents. But for them, especially at the start of their progression, coming up against someone like me is a bit, um, yeah, intimidating. But like, I feel, I feel quite bad. It's one of the reasons why I haven't really been competing as much. Um, but like, there are a number of reasons why I haven't decided to compete a lot at all. But um, it is a struggle, like especially. Like, there are only a few girls my size in the country, so when I do get to roll with them, yeah. it's so good, and it's yeah. really fun, but then, like, I have to travel, like, three or four hours to meet up with them, so... We have exactly the same problem, just on opposite ends of the spectrum, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, but it's one of the great things about the sport, in that size, whilst it does play a part, it's not as big an issue as some people might yeah. find. It's really not. In terms, if you're just like a hobbyist, mm. the size of your training partners makes very little difference as long as they're willing to, you know, they're work not. to have good roles with everybody that they roll with. Mm. You, regardless of your size, I think you can have a good role with pretty much anybody you want to train with as long as they also want to have a good role. And yeah. Like, you know, they have the right mindset about it. But if you want to compete then you really need the people who are closer to your size because you need that that understanding of how people who are smaller or bigger move mm. and how they feel and how their weight feels and what their weight distribution feels like and it's completely different it's a completely different set of needs that you have as a competitor than you have as a just like a hobbyist because mm. like i'm always fascinated um mainly with distance management in jiu-jitsu like um i roll a lot with 
uh, Haley and some of the other women at uh, RGA and Milton Keynes. And she's really good at just putting something between us. And like, I, I try to use my weight uh, as much as possible, like to add pressure to get past her legs and stuff. But she's just so good at getting something in and then pushing me away. And it's like, I feel like, um, uh, you know, like in the Smooth Criminal video where he just leans forward. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> I'm like, what? Where am I going? How is this, how is this even happening? <laughs> um, okay. So, how long were you at AOJ for? I went up to AOJ in 2014, and then I moved here in 2017, which is when I left AOJ. So, three-ish years, two and a half, three years. And that must have been... Well, brilliant. Like, yes. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah. I, I've only really seen like um, videos and stuff of what they do, and like, I I can never get over how clean their gym they looks. They work very hard <laughs> to keep it that clean. Um, I learned a lot from training up there. You know, obviously, I learned a lot of jujitsu, but man, mm. so much of what I learned about about gym management and teaching and and especially managing a kids a good kids program comes from them like i i learned so so much about that side of the sport from Hakla and Guy, especially from from Guy. he's an amazing coach um and he's an amazing coach for kids particularly so i learned just so much about how to run a good kids program and how to teach kids and and how to um impart jiu-jitsu to kids from them that's cool like the kids classes are like really picking up now yes um, although like one of the the arguments that i've heard against it is like it doesn't really um uh what's the word like it's difficult to retain kids into later life so if you start them at like six and seven when they get to about 12 13 they're not gonna yeah some will drop out but honestly mm. the benefits we see to the kids are it's worth having some drop out mm. you know we see kids go from being just unruly and incapable of focusing and you know just really struggling to being able to listen and attentive and respectful to each other and it's just um, it's an amazing transformation that they have. And even if they don't keep doing jujitsu past twelve or thirteen, mm. you know they they learn how to deal with physical confrontation too in a different yeah. way. And that's something that they don't ever unlearn. So it doesn't matter if they mm. don't keep on training. As far as I'm concerned, it's great when they do, but they don't always. Mm. Well, it's one of the like. There's a part of me that's really glad that I now fit into the masters categories. Because just because someone has a blue belt now doesn't mean that they haven't been training for yeah. like 15, Absolutely. 16 years. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's quite terrifying. Um, but like the the people who are coming through the ranks now, like they have been training like Their since they were. Yeah, yeah our really. youngest kids are four years old. By the time they get a blue belt, they'll have been training. 12 years. 12 years, yeah. <laughs> 
maybe longer <laughs> like more than the average black belt yeah which is it's intense like do you think that and that's that just before they get a blue belt that's not even before they get into the blue belt adult category that's mm. just a blue belt juveniles because <laughs> um, it's 18 yeah when you're 17 the, the turning belt. oh yeah 18 when you can get a black belt but when you're 17 turning 18 that's the first time you can go into the adult category and fight adults otherwise you have to you know stick with the yeah the kids that are underage it's intense like raising little killers yeah yeah <laughs> So, um, what do you do in your, like, you you do kids' classes here and yes. everything now. So, what do you do to kind of handle the unruly new kids and get them to hone in and focus on what they're doing? We are extremely strict in the way we run our classes. We split our classes um, from about four to seven and then from eight to twelve and then pretty much once a kid hits about 50 kilos we send them into our beginners classes uh we say 12 but you know some 12 year olds are tiny and some 12 year olds are much bigger so it really just depends on how big they are it's less an age thing at that point and then um we have really really strict rules we have strict expectations and the other kids will keep the kids in line they know the rules they know what we allow what we don't allow and they just they want to train so they're not going to let anybody mess around in classes Mm. so i don't i can't remember the last time we had a kid that didn't within a few classes start to understand the structure of the the system and kind of fall in line to it that's pretty cool yeah it can it definitely can be chaos if you don't have <laughs> enough rules in place for the kids it is it is absolute chaos but uh if you put kids like rules if you put rules mm. in place they're they're fine yeah i wish i had more of, i wish i'd had more of a structure <laughs> i was carrying on that okay, they need structure it's true <laughs> it. it really is um so you moved over here in, in 2017. Yeah, at the end of the at the end of the year. Um, how have you found acclimatizing to the beautiful British weather from? <laughs> you you say California. that for the first day, the first year I was here, we had a beautiful snowy winter, and then that summer that was just baking hot. Yeah. And now. You know, we had a pretty mild winter this winter, mm. and now we're getting back, like, today's miserable, but we're getting back to, like, warm weather, and British people love to complain about the weather. I have yet to see <laughs> anything to complain about. It's just weather. <laughs> well, now I feel silly for complaining about the weather. I didn't like the wind and how it was blowing my hair in my face, but that's fine. <laughs> I mean, you, you guys don't have fires, you don't have earthquakes. As far as this I'm is concerned. true. Like, it, your weather is just pretty tame weather. Mm, like, those Californian wildfires from, was it last year that yeah. they happened? They were intense. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, like, I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts and stuff and listening to all of, like, pretty much all of them going, yeah, we kind of have to evacuate. So we yeah. don't know when we're going to do the next one. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, people having to upend their lives and I'm like, but it's windy here. <laughs> yeah. It was a little bit cold yesterday. 
There was a chill on my cheek and I didn't like it. I had to wear a scarf. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, how long have you had uh, this space that we're currently so in? So, this place was, um, it actually opened when, in November when we moved out here, or when I moved out here, we bought it off of the people who opened it, actually. So we bought it fully, you know, matted out and everything. We've made some changes to it, but we got really lucky where we came in and the guys who opened it had no real, like, leadership in place for running the place. Mm. So they had, they were, um, they wanted to run more of like a, a small club and we came in and it kind of just exploded in popularity from there. But um, it was never intended to be this kind of academy, mm. like a full-time jiu-jitsu academy, but you know, Tom and I had had every intention of opening one. We just happened to find this space, and they mm. needed somebody to take it over. So That's it was, pretty um, cool. It was definitely... It was lucky. Again, was the, lucky. you were at the right place yes. at the right time. Apparently, I, we were. <laughs> you're a very fortuitous person. That's what I like <laughs> to think. Yeah. No, it was it was super super lucky. We got mm. very very lucky. We were literally just looking for a place where we could drill and train that wasn't our living room because we had mats in the living room. So, <laughs> and he almost put his heel through a wall. And at that point, I was like, look, we need to find somewhere that we can at least we can at least drill and train for a little bit. And we, and he was like, well, this place just opened up. Let's go and see them. And maybe, maybe they won't be upset about us showing up and, and training a little bit. And now we, now we own it. So. <laughs> Muscle them out. Not intentionally. I think, I think people always underestimate how much work it will take to teach and do mm. admin and, you know, deal with all of the, there's a lot that goes into it yeah um teaching itself is exhausting but when you add in all the the business side of things man it takes a lot of time to get a business up and off the ground Mm. Um, even if you have a lot of experience with it and even if there's a bunch of you doing it Mm. you know just the sheer amount of time it takes to respond to facebook messages or emails or you know if you already have a job adding something like this on top of it is it's not easy <laughs> yeah like uh, it, people kind of underestimate the in- infrastructure side of things like it's it's one thing to get a space yeah and to just put some mats put some it. mats down but then as soon as you introduce people to it yeah everything kind of goes oh like I how do you collect this. payments how do you see who's coming to class how do you keep track of belts how do you you know how do you keep track of all this stuff and if you don't have the time to do it then it just becomes overwhelming very very quickly so um what affiliation do you fall under are you we don't have one well tom Tom, you know got his black belt from braulio so he's Mm. traditionally gracie baja and i've gotten you know, my black belt and my, my first degree from Andre Galvao, so that's also, mm. so we have, this is under a completely separate affiliation, mm. um, so this is, um, unrelated to either, because it's yours, it's ours, it's and if right. we, if we had gone with either of them, there would have been a lot of, 
a lot Politics of hurt, hurt feelings involved mm. in yeah so. sometimes it's the best way and like lineage has it's a re- it's a really big deal for the people who want it to be a really big deal and i think um in many aspects jujitsu is self-correcting in the mm. sense that like if you have if you're good at jujitsu if you have like legitimate a legitimate skill set that will show in your performance or the performance of your students because there's plenty of people out there who aren't good competitors but they produce good students who are good competitors and mm-hmm. compete well and you know demonstrate that they are you know learning from somebody who has a high level of skill mm-hmm. and if you don't then you won't and <laughs> lineage only means so much well yeah and like People underestimate just how difficult a task teaching actually is. Oh, yeah. And it's like, because I've met a few instructors in my time, and I've been very fortunate in that most of the people that I've encountered have been very good at reading the class and um, teaching the techniques. But I've heard horror stories of people who are just like, They'll show the technique twice and then just expect people to get yeah. on with it. Yeah, I hear I hear horror stories about people who are, you know, very, very good competitors who are just painfully boring mm. to listen to teach or to like sit through a seminar with or, you know, any any number of things. And it's like that you know, being a great competitor or being a great athlete does not translate over into being a great teacher. No. In any sense. <laughs> <laughs> like you need to be able to break what you're doing down and if you don't have the like vocabulary or really the want to yeah like everyone knows how they do it but actually translating that into something that's teachable is very difficult absolutely so how like i i come from a an environment like quite closely akin to yours and like yeah. Um, I train under Stuart and Haley, so yeah. they're another a grappling partnership to be reckoned with. Like I love them to pieces, but like, how do you find working quite closely with uh, Tom in the the gym setting? Um, I I really like it. We don't we generally don't fight very much about you know business or mm. anything like that. Um, if we do, it's it's actually more likely to be us fighting about something else <laughs> coming into the the uh, <laughs> business the business side of things. But um, in terms of the business side of things, we have similar ethics on how we how we want to run our business, like what we what we want to bring to the business and uh, what's important to us. So I think that that makes it very very easy to to run an effective business we we know what we want we know what's important in terms of like what we want to see from our students Mm -hmm. and like how we want to grow this place um in terms of training we always end up fighting so (laughs) (laughs) there's not a there's very rarely a time where we train and one of us doesn't end up angry at the other but i think that that's just (laughs) That's just how it goes. That's human nature. Yeah. <laughs> I have never met a jiu-jitsu couple that doesn't say that by the end of training with each other, they want to strangle each other. In real life. So, yeah, yeah, in real life. In real life. <laughs> Wait till they're sleeping and yeah. smother them. Um, 
So, like, because you don't have an affiliation, because you both have, like, such a, a varied past in the sport, like, I'm, like, personally, I'm quite interested to know how you approached, like, your lessons and what it was that you wanted to teach and when and what it is that you're looking for um, in your students. So, like, was it a, a conscious um like sitting down and going okay so we're doing this this and this in these days or do you kind of just wing it um so we have a beginner's curriculum that we run through and um, we don't actually teach the beginner's classes we have one of our students teach the beginner's classes we have a 16 week beginner's curriculum it just rotates through and you know we funnel our beginner students through very quickly so they go through their beginner's curriculum and then they get funneled out of that curriculum very fast. So the, that curriculum is just designed to teach them the basics of what we think is the most important. Mm. So movements and concepts and you know basic things like triangles and every week or every two weeks looks at different positions. Mm. So it goes through guard control first and then it goes through passing and a little bit of takedowns, and then it loops back to the beginning. And it's very simple. It introduces everybody to every single kind of area of jiu-jitsu. Don't expect them to remember all of it, but by the time they get out of it, everybody's seen spider guard, everybody's seen dohiva, everybody's seen butterfly guard, everybody's seen a little bit of half guard, mm-hmm. um, everybody's done at least a double leg, a single leg, and maybe a collar drag. Like They've all seen these basic movements. And then when we get into the other classes tom and i sit down every every weekend and we decide what we're going to be working on so this week we're working on passing half guard for instance so we started it last week it was kind of a short week because of the easter break Mm -hmm. so we started last week we started working on passing half guard and we've been kind of observing everybody all week seeing what um what was going on we decided we wanted to spend another week on it so we're going to spend another week on it, and that's um, that's been that's just how we go about doing things. We we have our beginners curriculum, but in the other classes, we decide what we're going to do based on what we see people needing in sparring. Mm-hmm. But it is decided every every weekend or every every couple weeks once we finish an area what we're going to work on. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, another controversial subject is the um the drilling and sparring um discussion do you do you think do you feel that um drilling techniques is like superior training over live sparring or the opposite so we the way we look at this is that you you have to drill a technique to understand how it works mm. So we drill techniques. We spend very little time on technique in train in um, classes. We only do two, maximum three techniques per class because, in reality, most people's attention span is about that short. Yeah. And they cannot remember more than that. That's just scientific. Mm. Like you, you physically cannot remember more than that. So there's not really any point in shoving more information at people. So. We do our two or three techniques, we drill them, and then after that we do, most of the time we do like a live drilling session, which could be like position sparring or rotation training or something where you do the same technique or the same position with 
more like resistance mm -hmm. and it's usually very specific so like this week like I said we're doing half guard so we'll do half guard specific training where you start in the half guard and on top you have to pass on the bottom all you have to do is recover back to another guard if you do that you reset back in the half guard mm. and all you're doing is working that very specific area and we do that for you know five ten minutes that's a little bit more intense so people can't do it as long and then we do sparring live sparring after that so pretty much every class follows that same same theory where you drill until you understand the concept mm. then you try the concept in a very specific way where most people are going to be able to to yeah. do it it's where you perfect the mechanics yeah. we want people to have that kind of sense of of a quick win mm. so if like we're doing half guard so we set them up in a position where it's very easy to pass the half guard and it's very hard to recover mm. and then they understand that that's a position that they can succeed in so they keep working it and we keep working it in, in more and more complexity until they're able to kind of um to do it in live sparring without any kind of mm. help like half guard is literally the one thing that i've been working on <laughs> for the past few uh well we've been doing it in class for the past uh four weeks but it's something that i've wanted to get better at for a long time because i because I've got long legs, they're easier to, to find. So I always <laughs> find myself getting caught in half guard. So that's super fun. <laughs> um, I want to talk a bit more about your competitive career. Yes. Like, you've been a very active competitor. Yeah, until introducing. recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you... I'm assuming that you've competed all the way through your jiu-jitsu No, jiu -jitsu I started career. competing as a brown belt. What? Yeah. You keep surprising me, and it's <laughs> not fair. <laughs> You're catching me off guard. Yeah, I started competing as a brown belt. I so didn't compete all the way through. I wasn't interested as a kid, and I'm not even sure that if I had wanted to, it would have been something that even I would have been able to do very often. I doubt mm. that there would have been very many people for me to compete against. This is true. Yeah. So, it's um, not like now. <laughs> what, 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 where there's a competition every week? Yeah, and there are tons of blue belt girls around to, to compete <laughs> against. Uh, but there's still quite a steep drop-off at Purple and... There, are, there is. And Here Brown. there is. Um, when you go to other places, you know, you go to California, you go to Texas, those kind of areas, mm. you see many, many more. But yeah, it's still, it's still relatively new in the UK. Yeah, and I can't quite wrap my head around it like in the UK like in other places you do see quite a big like it seems to be growing more in the states and in some of the other European countries yeah but it seems to be that in the UK it's a bit oh it really it does seem to be more limited in the UK I'm not sure why it would be mm. I don't have that kind of insight into the <laughs> into the the British mindset yet come um, back to me in a few years well, well I'm sure I'll have plenty to say <laughs> <laughs> like we're adept at failing we're we're very good at like being raised in that like negative environment so um so were, were you given any kind of like um pressure or um encouragement to compete from uh, your team when you went back to Atos no not at all um, and I think it's a it's a deci decision you really have to make for you yourself. have to make for yourself yeah mm. 
like being it on in a in an environment where lots of people are competing, mm. more people are gonna end up competing. That's just kind of how it is. But even even so, you know, people who who compete every once in a while are very different than people who compete all the time. Mm. Um, but it it really is just something that you have to you decide for yourself. Mm. You you'll find more people compete when everybody's competing. But yeah. Well, I'm not. It's like a chicken and egg situation, though. I'm not <laughs> sure if, if those kind of gyms just attract more people that want to compete, or if you know people, even hobbyists who come, get it caught up in the environment mm. or what it is. Well, it, the actual competition environment I find quite exhilarating. Like it's very difficult to go as a spectator when you. Um, actively participate in the yes, sport. I find it to be very difficult. <laughs> it's quite frustrating when you're like, oh, I wish there was just one person here that I could roll with. And like, um, when I moved to Milton Keynes and um, started training with Hayley for a little bit, she was the person who said to me, I think you'd uh, do well to compete. And like, she gave me all of these reasons why I should compete and I was like I don't know I don't know and then I event- eventually acquiesced and I was like damn it I love it <laughs> <laughs> this isn't good <laughs> um so did you compete a lot at brown belt yeah I did a fair amount I again I was doing as much as I could not every tournament would have people for me to compete mm. against uh but that's generally how it is at Black Belt, too. You know, not every tournament will have somebody, but you do as many as you can. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you end up in a in a division where it's just the absolute, and that's all you have. And, you know, you gotta, you got to just Tough compete out. when you have the chance to compete because mm. you never know when your next shot's going to be or, you know, when your next division's going to come up. And... Competing like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the easier it is, and mm. it's a skill. You know, it's a completely different skill than jujitsu. Yes. So. So when you when you compete, like, more so when you were starting out, did you suffer from the the nerves and the anxiety absolutely. before going Everybody into? Everybody is anxious all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I'm, I'm not a great competitor in the sense that I'm still learning to master that side of it I'm still anxious I'm still nervous um, but everybody is nervous and anxious and mm. worried and it, there's different degrees of it of course but mm. everybody is anxious everybody has those kind of like nerves people handle it differently mm. like I like through my white belt career I never really had those nerves like going into a competition I was always very like quite calm and I I just enjoyed like rolling I was able to separate uh, the competition from just regular training and go it's just like any other time on the mat just yeah. go out and enjoy yourself and um, like speaking to lots of other women in the sport like you find the people who are the stronger competitors not stronger like the fiercer competitors they're very a lot of them can be quite um anxious and what's the word no should have done this after a long week <laughs> i've been all my words these past couple of days it's been emotionally draining i went to see um avengers endgame and like 
I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much that goes on. It broke my heart in so many places. But, um, yeah, I, I always find it fascinating, like, at competition to see how people um, on the sidelines are kind of dealing with the anxiety and nerves. And you see, like, the slappers just hitting yeah. themselves and you see like the people who are just dancing around like the the practice mats like with their headphones on yeah, like, everybody's kind of got their their weird quirks that they that mm. they have I, I went I had my first competition for about uh, 18 months uh, a few weeks ago and um, it felt completely different to how I used to feel because <laughs> like I was a lot more nervous going into it and it was a bit bit anxious and then like in one of the fights I suffered um like a panic attack like when I was in the middle of the fight and I didn't know what to do (laughs) and uh when I finished I had to run off the mat and go and cry and (laughs) I was like I have no idea how I'm gonna get through my last fight so um that's something that I now have to deal with and like try and figure out like coming back after such a, a long stay off like my stamina and fitness have just fallen to the wayside. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> so, a, that's I'm not something looking you've forward got to. Look to, forward to. <laughs> I've uh, I've accepted that that's the case, but I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> I've accepted it, but I haven't accepted yeah. it. I'm doing everything accept. I can to make sure that I'm still in at least moderately good shape after we have mm. this baby. But <laughs> <laughs> well, like. You haven't been having any, like, ridiculous cravings, which is good. No, I haven't. You're staying haven't. away from all of the nonsense. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky because I was so active before. Mm. I pretty much can do whatever I want still. Because mm. um, they tell you when you're, when you're having a baby, you know, your, your body will pretty much tell you when you're, you're doing something that's bad for it or uncomfortable you know, you will know if you're doing mm. anything that you shouldn't be doing. And I got really lucky because now I can I can lift and I've got good mobility and I, I can still roll around on the mat and demonstrate techniques and do all kinds of stuff that I think if I hadn't been so active before, I wouldn't be able to do now. Yeah. But, man. Like, it's one of the benefit it's one of the like secondary benefits of jujitsu that i quite enjoy because like you do get a better sense of your body in general because you're forced to think about individual body parts in isolation all the time yeah absolutely (laughs) and um like that was one of the biggest things for me like coming into the sport like i've always been like a anxious and depressive person and I've always had, I've suffered from issues of uh, body dysmorphia and things like that. So coming into the sport, it was a, one of the first things that happened is like it kind of retrained my brain to stop looking at my body as something that other people see and start appreciating it for yeah. what it can do. Yeah, it's, um, it, you definitely get really sensitive to everything that's going on and like changes and all of a sudden I'm so clumsy <laughs> falling over all the time like <laughs> but, but you know I, 
I haven't had any of the major problems that women complain about so much when, mm. you know, when they've been pregnant. So I've been really lucky in that sense. Like, obviously, I was miserably sick for the first trimester, but there's nothing you can do about that. There's absolutely <laughs> nothing that you can do about that except for kind of like stay in bed and be miserable. Power through yeah, it. Yeah, power through it. <laughs> but now that I'm out of that and I'm past that, that bit, I can still still teach I haven't I mean I feel like I've gained a million pounds but I haven't <laughs> Tom keeps telling me I haven't my nutritionist keeps telling me I haven't <laughs> I feel like I have um, you don't know how I'm feeling okay <laughs> well you know just just the amount of weight that I've put on it I can feel the the pressure on my joints is different mm. and like on my back is different but but I feel like I've I've avoided a massive amount of weight gain, which I know is a problem for a lot of women. Mm. And I think just having jujitsu and having it, I've been doing a lot more lifting and a lot more of that kind of thing, that has kept me from feeling a lot of the really negative sides of mm. of pregnancy, which has been nice. <laughs> so much as I complain about it all the time <laughs> it was actually one of the things that I did want to speak to you about because one of the things that comes up quite often on like the women's grappling threads and stuff is what do you do about training whilst pregnant so um when you found out like were there any uh, well of course there were like massive changes that you made yes. to your day-to-day -day, but like what were the main things that you said okay I have to start doing this this and this um, the biggest thing that I stopped doing was I stopped training with people, first of all, people who didn't know I was pregnant, because we kept it quiet for a long time. Mm. I stopped training with people who didn't know I was pregnant, and I stopped training, um, and I, I stopped, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I stayed away from anybody I knew would be crazy. Mm. I, most of my training I do with Tom, because I know that he's not going to, like, like, there's that implicit trust there. Yeah. I know he's not going to, not going to hurt me. Um about maybe a week or two ago I've largely stopped playing guard because I can't really mm. sit up I can't crunch properly and um, I'm I'm not so much worried that I that I'm gonna get my guard passed or anything like that it's more no. that I'm worried that I'm gonna automatically make a movement that I shouldn't make yeah uh, because I'm so there's that that muscle memory there mm. so I've mostly been drilling passing and training on top when I'm training and that kind of thing um it was for me it was more about like making intentional changes that i knew would let me train as long as possible mm. um so i started doing like i said more lifting uh, more heavy lifting like um i started doing as much running as i could so that i could keep running as long as possible mm. uh, and just kind of getting my body into the into, used to this idea that like it's gonna keep moving even though it doesn't want to. <laughs> uh, I like I said I teach I, we still I still teach pretty much every day. Mm. Um, I haven't had to stop teaching yet, so that's good. A couple weeks ago we were teaching a a takedown seminar and everybody I think was just freaking out that I was still doing it, but you have to you you have to just kind of keep going obviously i'm mm. not a doctor so you should talk to your doctor if you're pregnant <laughs> and want to train but 
like my my midwife has said from the beginning that you know your body will tell you when you're doing something that it doesn't like to do my body doesn't want to do strict overhead presses so I don't do strict overhead presses. Mm. I have no idea why that particular movement it has decided it doesn't <laughs> want to do, but that's one that I just don't do. I don't do sit-ups. I try to avoid anything that I can I can feel doesn't feel right. But mm. other than that, you can keep going as long as you want. Awesome. I literally had a question in my head just then, <laughs> and I started listening to you speak, and it's gone. <laughs> oh, I'm the most ridiculous person. <laughs> It's just one of those weeks. It is. It really is. Um, like, at the moment, I'm really anxious about, like, the um, the third episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, God damn it. Like, there's only so much heartbreak my, my, my body can take in one week. Yeah, it's a... Uh, maybe <laughs> wait until next week, just, like, push <laughs> Leave it back a week. A week. Yeah. So, um, you went to the Artemis camp. Yes. Uh, and you... You did, um, but yeah, you did a seminar spot with um, yeah, yeah. Tom and stuff. Yeah. So like, how how did you find that experience? Um, like the the camp setup because that was, as an outsider, um, it looked really interesting. You had uh, like, was it eight different um, yeah, trainers? Yeah, I think so. It that's the second time we've done it. Um, this is the second year Tom and I have, have gone and taught there for the for the camp it's a good setup it's nice um i think for the people who are participating it's a lot of jujitsu yeah it's a lot it's a lot mentally for them and maybe um the camp i know that it's hard from like a a logistical perspective but if they could like spread it out a little bit more over the course of the day Mm. maybe even shorten the instructor spots Mm. it would be better for the people watching but it's been so long since I've been like a blue belt watching. I can't really, I can't really gauge whether or not that would be actually better for them or not. Mm. Um, maybe people want to be that exhausted by jujitsu. I yeah. have no idea. Well, I have no idea. Like, as a blue belt, <laughs> um, I went to a, a camp in Australia in uh, January, and that was three days with six instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, they had seven female black belts on the on the mat, which was remarkable. Like I've never seen that many high level women in one place at one time. It was great. Um but they had a very similar setup. They had um but they did a morning and an afternoon on the yeah. on well, they did an evening on the Friday, morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon. And um even that was exhausting yeah. with like long breaks in between. Yeah, I think that people mentally have trouble just um, continuing to focus that long. Mm. But like I said, it's a great setup. I think maybe shortening the instructor spots would give people more turnover and like faster turnover and more interest, like keep mm. able to keep their interest rather um, longer. But you know, everybody seemed really excited about the the seminars and stuff. So like I said, it's been a long time since I've been I've been at that level of. Um, Mm. of training so I'm a bad person to judge it <laughs> that's fine <Yeah. laughs> it's been it was even more popular this year than last year so I imagine whatever he's doing he's doing it uh, he's doing it right yeah so. um, I'm surprised that there isn't like there aren't more things like that 
because like one thing that I really enjoy about jujitsu is I can go all over the country and see how other people train like I know a lot of people only really train at one place and they only do it with certain people and yeah. you get kind of an isolated view of what jujitsu is so experiencing how other people train and like just little adjustments that people make to their game it's one of the reasons why competition is so beneficial as well because you get to see little things that other people do um instructors so, are just funny about letting their students go places and train. yeah um like you'd be surprised how many instructors are funny about it but i mean i think also as a gym owner we have so much going on all the time that organizing a camp like that would be it would take a lot of time and a lot of energy and mm-hmm. a lot of like a lot of willpower to to set it up um, and that's probably one of the reasons why you don't have as many as yeah as this you'd is like. true um like i usually run a women's only competition like every year like I've had well I say every year like um, I've run two so far and I'm struggling this year to set something up so like one of the ideas that I was kind of messing around with was having like a a female-led camp but I don't want it to just be like a a one day thing I want it to be special in, in inverted commas so I've been looking at some of the uh, national sports centres and stuff where they have accommodation on site yeah. and they have facilities to accommodate. But um, I'm just trying to sort out logistics. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's tough. Mm. Even to set up seminars, you know, we, we have to do a whole bunch of like jumping through hoops and mm. all kinds of stuff. So it's not, it's not an easy thing to do, but you know, like, BJJ Globetrotters does them, yeah. and you get them. You guys have no idea how lucky you are to have all of Europe like, right <laughs> at your doorstep. For now. But <laughs> you'll still have it there. You'll just have to get a visa like the rest of us. <laughs> so you're not a citizen now, then? No. What? No, I'm, you a, don't I'm be. a resident. But it's like, nah, I don't want to be a British. That's just that a whole lot of... I'll have to oh. like tea. I'll have to go out in I a like flat tea. Cap. I have nothing. I have nothing against tea. Um, <laughs> honestly, there's not a whole lot of benefit to getting a citizenship when no. you can be a resident relatively easily. So this is true. Um. Yeah, and you, like you said at the beginning, you'd have to talk about the weather a lot more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't need that stress. No, I really don't. <laughs> Life's hard enough. So I mean, it would be one thing if there were like there was weather to talk about, <laughs> but it's often just like it's a little bit grayer today than yesterday. It's just bleak. Like that's kind of that's what I would use to describe British weather in general. And like you're you're quite fortunate in that you're an outsider looking. It's like this is just weather. Why yeah. is everyone complaining? It's like well, it's not what we see on TV all the time. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Um, so we touched on it a little bit in uh, like the female engagement at higher levels. Um, 
since you've opened your gym, like, do you find it difficult to get women through the door? And when you do, do you find it difficult to retain them? Um, we don't really find it that difficult to get women through the door. We have a lot of, you know, little girls training with us. Mm. Our five to seven program is probably about 50-50 boys and girls. Um, you know, it, it drops down a little bit at the, um, at the 8 to 12 level. And we get a lot of women through the rest of the classes as well, but I think that a lot of that has to do with um, the gym environment we've set up. We've set up a really family-friendly environment, mm-hmm. so a lot of the women who train with us have spouses or partners and kids, and like they all kind of train with us. Like the whole family trains, and That's really you know, they cool. all this is a thing that they all do together. So you can see our, we got kids up here all the time. They sit up here and they play while their parents are downstairs training. And that's just the, the gym and Meyer was set up so that it's welcoming to those kinds of um, those kinds of people that have a whole family that want to be here. Mm. So. That's really cool. Because, like, I, for the longest time, I do think that, like, uh, women more so but like children women and children have kind of been an afterthought in the sport it's been like understandably it's been a male dominated sport for quite a long time because that was the kind of person who was initially drawn to it and it was just a very um kind of aggressive yeah very machismo based so Mm. but the fact that it's more accessible now and more um and more people are open to trying it like even in the few years that i've actually been in the sport i've seen it grow quite like uh exponentially which has been really odd because <laughs> like i it's i'm gonna confuse all my words but like in most martial arts you do tend to find like a kind of maybe not 50 50 but like a 60 40 split between men and women um but it seems to be different for jujitsu and like i can understand why a little bit because like as an outsider looking in it's like there are a lot of intimacy boundaries that people might not be willing to overcome or uh, try out like i've tried to get my sisters to come and try um which is like getting blood from a stone <laughs> it's just like it's not a sport <clears throat> for everyone it's no. definitely not uh, I think a lot of it has to do with like I said the gym environment you'll get more women and children in an environment that's clean that's welcoming that mm. um, like doesn't tolerate a lot of bullshit yeah like that's just the reality of it you know you'll get people to come and stay if they're comfortable walking through the door Mm. You know, um, if you have a gym environment that is is dirty or you know noisy or you know you have that's the gym owner's prerogative to have that kind of like Inform- that kind yeah. kind of environment, but they then can't be surprised if they're not growing their kids team or they're not growing their women's team. Like mm. you have to understand what's going to draw the average person in off the street and have them say, okay, I can. I can be here and not feel threatened or not feel 
uh, like out Second of place window. or yeah <laughs> it doesn't smell like feet in here like <laughs> i'm not gonna roll over into a, a pile of pews yeah or like <laughs> there's not staff all over the mat <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things they have to think of yeah like just having a clean gym a clean brightly lit gym will make <clears throat> a huge difference to having women and children in the in the place mm. Um, so, I mean, that, that just comes with a decision that the business owner makes, you know? Yeah. So, another question for you. <laughs> like, if there was something that you could do, I'm going to question this bloody thing wrong again. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Like, what do you think would need to happen in the sport to kind of improve female participation uh i'm gonna say in this country rather than worldwide <laughs> but like is actually i'm gonna ask you this like in the other places that you've trained have you seen um different approaches to engaging women in the sport i think the places that i've been that have been most successful engage in engaging women have had those things that i mentioned like mm. the gym is clean it's professionally run like you can walk in and there's somebody there who tells you how to pay them what mm. they want to be paid like yeah you know the gym looks clean um people are friendly nobody is like nobody is creepy like all of those things mm. contribute to, to keeping women in the sport and every place that i've gone that has a significantly sized women's team has been a place like that Mm. Uh, in terms of in the UK specifically we've traveled around the UK a lot to various gyms and done a lot of seminars in in various places and I think that the big thing that a lot of gyms don't have here is that level of professionalism like they really are labors of love from the people who run them but Mm. they're not full-time professional gym owners so they don't have the time or the energy or the even the will to to make sure that the gym is spotless all the time or that you know that there's a receptionist or like and even a reception area like Mm. um you know bathrooms are dirty outside dirty that kind of thing like that will all impact the kind of people that you bring in through the door Mm. and you know that's not that's not a slight against those gym owners at all because like I said, a lot of those places, that the places that we've been, they're, they're labors of love from the people who love jujitsu and they just want to train, like they just mm. want to teach as much as they can, but they have day jobs. They have other things that they have to be doing other than yeah. you know, spending lots of time cleaning and making a place nice and professional and all of that kind of mm. stuff. And that's where you fall back into the um, setting up the whole gym thing as well. Yeah. It's like, it is it's a very difficult task it's a difficult task it takes a lot of time takes a lot of energy but you know the that kind of female participation will fall by the wayside because of that you know Mm. you have to make an environment that women feel comfortable in and a dark dingy gym yeah poorly lit with a bunch of men rolling around is not a welcoming (laughs) environment for most women who have never who have never like had experience with contact sports or anything Mm. like that you know, you'll always have women come in who know exactly what they want and know exactly what jujitsu is and know exactly 
that they yeah. want to train. And you'll always get those women. Yeah. But they're not the ones you have to sell it to. This is yeah. true. I like one of my thoughts about like the participation levels in like between the different countries is like in the US you have a much better um like sports system through uh schools. Yeah, I generally think that's true mm. throughout um I've noticed that in the UK that the the system is very poor. It is You'll have good programs, you'll have bad programs, but it's all so disorganized. Mm. Like, it's not uniform at all. You don't get that kind of youth sports environment growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, one of the reasons I, I feel like the jiu-jitsu has, pick, like, ju- jiu-jitsu has picked up more for females in the States because you're introduced to things like wrestling and other grappling sports quite early in the um, curriculums and like there are people like wrestling in general is tough (laughs) like it's a it's a really hard environment to get into and persist through yes and well uk doesn't seem to have really a wrestling in general no yeah the us definitely has a much larger wrestling environment for sure Mm. you don't get that here no, and the only, like, it's starting to come through a little more now, but I think that's largely because of jiu-jitsu and yeah, the UFC and mixed martial arts. It do, it, I don't understand why, because it's something that's always been... It's been an Olympic sport for a long yeah. time, so I thought you'd, it would bizarre. be... It's bizarre. It's just something that never picked up here for one reason or another. Mm. Yeah. Fun time. Yeah. <laughs> um... There was one more thing that I was going to ask you, and now I can't think about it. What's it like being, uh, like, having an American accent in the UK? Do people point it out all the time? Do they think no, you're a tourist? No, people are way too <laughs> polite to point it out all the time. But um, people ask me where I'm from all the time. Like, where, where, in, uh, where, where, in, Cambridge. <laughs> where in the States I'm from. When I say California, they ask me what I'm doing here. Invariably, that's Much the next like question. Much like I did. Yes. <laughs> it's always the next question. What are you doing here? <laughs> like, why? Yeah, why are you here? <laughs> it's like, what? you're not really selling anybody on your country. It's the first thing you ask <laughs> when somebody moves here is, why are you here? We're here what, because you we should have go back. Um, yeah, we're all here because we have to be. We're kind of tethered to the soil. Uh, so it's weird when people just want yeah. to be here out of the kindness of their heart. Um, okay, so that's kind of it. Okay. Like, <laughs> is there anything... I, the last thing that I always tend to ask people is, um, like if you could give any kind of words of encouragement to women who are thinking about taking up the sport or who've been interested in following the sports and stuff, is there any thing that you would say to kind of keep them persisting? Um, mostly just that not every gym is for everybody and, you know, don't ever feel like you have to join the first gym you go into and if the environment's not for you you know there's a place out there for you especially now when mm-hmm. there's so many different gyms around 
you have so many different options. You know, you don't have to buy into this idea that the first gym you walk into has to be your gym forever. Mm. Um, like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna pay to be there, so pay to be somewhere that you want to be. Mm. And like I said, not every gym environment is for everybody. There's always gonna be a different environment that you can you can be in and maybe even thrive in more effectively. Mm. So, like. If you find that, you know, you go to your first class and it's not as welcoming as you want it to be, then go find somewhere else. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you have, if you have an interest in the sport, then you got to find a place that you can train it comfortably. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree with that anymore, if I'm honest. I've been very fortunate in, like, the first, the only two places that I've thought of training have been perfectly matched to yeah. my mindset at the time. Yeah, but not everybody everybody responds to the same no. type of coaching. You can have two great academies mm. and have one coach that just rubs you the wrong way, like it's the wrong kind of coaching for you, and that's perfectly all right. Mm. Like you just have to find somewhere where you're comfortable training. Definitely. Right. Thank you very much for speaking to me. It's been very fun and interesting. <laughs> and that is it. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, I want to thank Chelsea one more time for um, taking the time out of her schedule to speak to me. And um, yeah, I'll hopefully have another one of these up pretty soon. Um, Thanks again for tuning in and see you all next time.